0: A conversation with a private spaceflight pilot. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. John Schaffner is set to launch to space soon, piloting the second commercial mission to the space station chartered by Texas space company Axiom. He's always dreamed of going to space, and thanks to a commercial space boom, he'll get that chance. We'll talk about the mission and his plans to bring art to space and then back to earth to inspire students to think about leaving the planet for their future careers then our student journalist partners at the university of central florida bring us a story on light pollution that's ahead on are we there yet here on 90.7 wmfe news John Schaffner has flown a lot of planes, racking up 8,500 hours in land and sea aircraft, helicopters, ex-military jets, and soon, a Dragon. Schaffner is one of the paying customers on Axiom Space's AX-2 mission, launching in the coming weeks on SpaceX's Crew Dragon on a Falcon 9 rocket. We'll talk with him about the mission. But first, light pollution is prevalent across our country, especially in urban areas, including along Central Florida's I-4 Corridor. Light pollution prevents us from truly experiencing all the night sky has to offer, and it also affects local wildlife living near developing areas. For our Sounds of Central Florida project, a partnership with UCF's Nicholson School of Communication and Media, Waluca Costa and Cassandra Wilkins spoke with astronomers advocating for darker skies.
1: I'm Dr. Richard Jurusek. I'm a lecturer and the director of UCF's Robinson Observatory. Light pollution is any light that's produced by humans that is reflecting off of dust and moisture in our atmosphere coming back down to us and making the sky overall look kind of gray. If you go back several hundred years and you imagine what it looked like anywhere on Earth, a clear night probably see a few hundred, if not a few thousand stars in the sky. And in Orlando, we look up at the sky and we see a few. And that's because of light pollution. There are a few places that are designated dark sky sites. For example, Harmony, Florida, which is down south east of Kissimmee, that's a Bortle four sky in that area, which is pretty good. Another one is in Chiefland, Florida, or up in the Ocala National Forest. And a Bortle four sky means that the Milky Way is clear. Back in 2001, an astronomer named John Bortle came up with a scale, an index for light pollution. Bortle one was when you could see clearly the Milky Way galaxy, you could see other galaxies in the sky like Andromeda. You can see the zodiacal light, which is dust in our solar system. Around the urban areas, Tampa, Orlando, Daytona, we're in Bortle nine, which is urban skies. As you get a little bit into the suburbs, it drops down to about Bortle Bortle 8, and in the deepest parts, it drops down to about a Bortle 6. Bortle 6 means that you might be able to faintly make out the Milky Way galaxy, and you can definitely see the light from cities in the distance on the horizon. So that's about the best we get anywhere, even out from a city on the I-4 corridor. If we want to mitigate the effects of climate change we, we want to stop burning as much fossil fuels as we can. And light requires an energy source. We get light from burning fossil fuels. And if we reduce our consumption of energy and we reduce our lights at night, then we will reduce our fossil fuel dependence. And I'd just like to add a little caution, which is just like with climate change, we should be careful about what we're doing when it has an impact on climate as a whole, and light pollution does. And then if we really want to get rid of it, all we have to do is turn on the lights off.
0: That story was produced by UCF student journalist Waluka Costa and Cassandra Wilkins. You can find more stories produced by our student journalist partners from the UCF Nicholson School of Communication and Media on our website at wmfe.org. John Schaffner's week-long mission to the International Space Station is the second chartered by Texas space company Axiom. But it won't be a joyride for Schaffner and his crew. He'll be conducting experiments from orbit and reaching out to young people down here on Earth through an art outreach program. I spoke with Schaffner ahead of his mission about what he expects and where he sees the future of commercial spaceflight. How excited are you for this mission?
2: <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. I've been, I, I trained as the backup to AX-1, which was the first private flight starting two years ago and so in this aspect of me actually flying was far out in the future that it just seemed like okay i'm at nasa i'm training i'm training i'm training so i'm just enjoying the training and it's just taken um well and i remarked to this with some people at spacex recently we were out there and our training had concluded and then they started just giving us this sensation this feeling this feedback of we're going and you're trained and then suddenly I started to get the feeling of preparedness that all the training for the past two years was actually in me and I was going to space and that I knew how to launch on the Falcon 9, go to orbit and dock to the International Space Station and then undock and re enter and splash down. I knew how to do that. So it was, it was a wow, it was just an, an interesting feeling as they started treating us and me as confirmed crew rather than just people that they were training to do something in the future. So that, that has resulted in me being, becoming excited instead of just feeling like I was just doing something.
0: Is that something that you ever imagined you would do in your life? You would be trained to, um, ride on top of what is essentially a missile, uh, dock to a station that is 150 miles above earth and then return safely. You know how to do that. (laughs) Did did you ever know that that they would come?
2: (laughs) <laughs> well, I've, I have actually imagined this this my entire life. Um, you know, I, I came from the age of the original space race and I had a young astronauts club when I was eight and we followed Jim and I. We had cardboard boxes marked up and things. We played, it, we, it was our role. So I've imagined this. I did not, for some reason, follow the let's go be an astronaut program in my life. I didn't do that. I don't know why. I'm looking, I'm re-examining that thought process. Uh, but yeah, ever since then, space has been such a huge part of me growing up, uh, that I followed everything about space and space flight and science and technology. Uh, that's, that has just always been in me. So yeah, I've imagined this. I didn't know how it would come. I didn't really, I'm not surprised that it's here, you know, to answer your question a shorter way. Uh, and I'm living it now and it's, uh, I'm going to do a good job with it. I feel confident and ready to go. mm
0: uh-huh. How much have you talked with um, astronauts who have flown in Crew Dragon? Have you talked to the AX-1 crew? Have you talked to any of the NASA astronauts about, you know, what to expect? And what are you hearing from them?
2: Sure, yeah, I've spoken with lots of them. You know, I, I call them up and they're happy to talk. We have coffee. We uh, had dinner Had dinner with the current crew that's on orbit now uh, before they left. Uh, you know, here at Johnson Space Center, you, you see them all the time in the hallways, so... They're approachable, they're happy to share their experiences, um, and it's an important part of the whole process of understanding the expectations of performing in an environment like that, and then going and performing as crew. We're, we're essentially going, and we will be guests on the International Space Station with the with the current station crew. So... Um, if you train in one modality as a long-term station crew, you're trained in one way. Uh, at NASA, they train us for short-duration flights like this. Uh, so we're trained to go there, be competent. We're trained specifically for the mission objectives that we have. In my case, it's, it's really heavy on STEM outreach. So uh, we, we integrate with the crew. Uh, so that they can do their jobs, and then they support our roles as well. So it's really an interesting, you know, training process, and we rely on their feedback to tell us how this is going to work well.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's talk a bit about that mission, John. Um, I know you mentioned you're doing some STEM outreach, and and part of that is with a, an art contest that you're you're holding. First of all, you know, give us the you know the elevator pitches to as to what this is and what we can expect from orbit with with this contest.
2: Yeah, you bet. It's something that just sort of occurred to me to do when I was ten. I painted uh, as I said I was following the Gemini program, and I painted with the picture of Ed White in Gemini four. Well, you know it was a very famous picture at the time. It was on all the magazines. So I used that in art class. You know when I was ten or eleven, I don't remember. Uh, And I miraculously still have the picture, the painting. It's a painting about oh you know uh, sixteen by thirty. It's a you know good size piece of oil on canvas paint so i still have that and i cherish it and i was amazed that i found it i I dug it up out of all my boxes of stuff after i started this journey to spaceflight so during this training you know we're looking at what we can do on the mission uh and i remember as a 10 year old loving this so much that i wanted to share the experience with other 10 year olds so they could hold on to this vision of whatever it was they wanted to be maybe it was an astronaut or a researcher scientist so I said, well, I got this picture, and I loved art. Let's see what other kids have in their vision. So we asked them an interesting question. One question said, what what would it be like when we live in space? In your mind, as a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old today, what does that look like to you? And and we've created this wonderful, miraculous contest, and it's and it's it's doing extremely well. We have 250-some entries from 13, 14 countries right now, and it's still has another week or so to go uh, with these miraculous entries that it's spaceartcontest.com. There's another week for it. But we're going to show the some of the selected uh, art entries and poetry on the space station during our flight. Uh, and I'm really, really excited about that because the teachers, the parents, the students, are they all know what space is and how sp- space has been quiet for a while, reasonably, in the previous years. And now it's coming back. It's like a new space. Uh, So it's amazing to see these 5 and 8 and 10 and 12-year-olds that already know so much about space. I've been in some classrooms, uh, and they come to you with these awesome questions about how do you do this, or what about vacuum, what you can breathe here. And they all want to know a lot about space. So the contest itself was meant just to help us create kind of a platform to talk from on Orbit So we can reach out to classrooms and provide teachers, really, with uh, uh, something to teach to. So that's a lot about the mission for me is STEM-based education uh, and using art here in this particular example as another part of, because there is a STEAM-based education uh, tool set as well, and we think art is such a huge content to that. I know I've kind of talked on about this, but um, that's really, it's really powerful to me, you know, the art. And creative part, and so much of technology and imagining uh, new developments is based on how you can imagine things. You know, just as in art, you have to create a vision in your mind's eye of what it is you're painting or creating or or writing. Um, and technology and science is pretty much the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. I, you know, we talk about. STEM a lot, right? And you talk about space and it's a lot of engineering. It's a lot of mathematics, but you're right. There is that, that steam aspect to it. Um, and and I, 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 recall hearing from astronauts who've come back, um, and, and have been artists after their experience. I'm thinking of Apollo's Alan Bean, uh, space shuttle, Nicole Stott, um, you know, is part of this purpose of, of your outreach to kind of allow art to flourish in, in the space community. And
2: why is that important? Well, actually the, that is important, but one of the main aspects to this for me was if I was, since I decided to go to space and I had the opportunity to go, I wanted to be sure that I created a sense of value that I brought back some value and demonstrated that a private person going to space can actually create something, start a conversation, and space is here, it, it's back. We are apparently headed to the moon and eventually Mars. So as a private astronaut going to space, doing something of value from space, STEM to me is one of the highest value propositions that we can do Earth or space, in that it's you know empowering and creating, the helping a young person understand the vision of themselves. So in this case, I chose to use art as one of those tools from space. To help us understand the value of space, get teachers, students, parents using space and technology as in through the STEM education tool set to help students see that there are so many things out there that are possible that they can do in science and technology, aerospace, go to space, uh, and in arts, a medium that fits in between all of those things that helps us imagine you know how all these things are possible. That's why I chose art.
0: The experience itself um, has kind of, you know, of of going to space, you know, it has been it's hard to explain uh, from from the folks that I've I've talked to. Um, How are you preparing yourself mentally for the overview effect or or seeing these views that that so few human beings have actually seen? Um, How are you doing that?
2: It's a really good question. The overview effect is seems to be real. Uh, we hear a lot about it. Um, I've tried to use my own abilities um, uh, as someone going to space to to that I can imagine, you know, so as either an artist or uh, a person of science or technology to imagine what that would be like and and try to onboard that a little bit before before it hits you. Well, that's not entirely correct, you know. I think probably a really good way to. to do it. It's in process with me, Brendan, trying to understand how what's going to happen in this particular instance. Um, part of me just wants to go there and let it unfold and do its thing. Uh, I'm prepared for a, a lot of either emotion or change in attitude on things like this. Uh, but for sure, I want to capture that in some way and bring back that experience. Uh, it's, I think that's, that's one of my roles here as an astronaut uh, in this case is to Share with others what this what this effect is, um, what being in space can mean, and what value it has to the rest of it
0: When you get back, do you think you're going to pull out the the oil painting set and some canvas and 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 try to paint again?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's possible. It's possible. But if I do, it'll just be a hobby interest. You know, I think. I think really, what what has me excited now is to is in some of the cases where I've been with with children uh, in schools and settings. The excitement that they have is so profound that I want to continue uh, continue that and help teachers and educators understand the value of STEM education uh, and what the experience of space can mean. And I think the overview effect will help me bring back um, a um, a very pure message in that effect. That's what I'm hoping, that I can go there, experience this, and learn how to relay it back to um the 8, 10, 12-year-olds today so they can think deeply about what, what they really believe in for themselves. That's that's what I hope to do.
0: We're speaking with John Schoffner, pilot of the upcoming AX-2 mission, a private trip to the International Space Station launching from Kennedy Space Center. Our conversation with Schaffner continues after the break. Or listening to "Are We There Yet?" here on 90.7 WMFE News. I'm Brendan Byrne. Our conversation continues with John Schaffner, pilot of the upcoming Ax2 mission, a private trip to the International Space Station, launching from Kennedy Space Center. John, you know this—the private space industry has kind of, you know, skyrocketed um, recently. Pardon the pun there. Um, and as someone who's been covering this for ten years, I mean, it, it's it's been quite a rapid pace. Uh, but you as a participant in this have a very unique perspective in, into the privatization of of low Earth orbit um, from this mission and, and, and beyond. I mean, where do you see us in 5, 10, 15 years? Where are those 8, 10, 12 year olds going to be when they graduate? Um, are they going to be flying in space? Are we moving that quickly that that's a possibility?
2: Uh, I think we are. I think we're absolutely moving at, at a, at a much greater than five years ago, of course. Five years goes by pretty quickly. So in the next five years, we'll still be in more developmental and planning. Ten years to be a, a, quite a bit more happening. You'll have Axiom Space with a space platform up and running, uh, running commercialization projects with companies uh, being on orbit. And it's part of what we're doing here on these missions is helping to develop the methods of getting people to orbit, and we're actually developing on our flight some of the technologies that will be used in future commercial space applications. Um, the 10-year-olds today, I, I'm quite sure, will be part of the astronaut corps that go to Mars. Um, but to do that, we have to understand a little bit more about space flight and how to fly ordinary people on short-term missions for training and to open up the commercialization here and, you know, that's another part of what we're doing. Um, but yeah, in 15, 20 years, you'll see 8, 10, 12-year-olds that are um, driving the space program. You know, they may not need to be an astronaut. They could be a researcher. Um, there may be a 1,000 people needed for every, every astronaut that is headed to Mars. So there's so many opportunities that, um, I, I mean, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to be a 10-year-old again and then redo some of these things where you can have such a pick out of, you know, what the future is and anything you really see for yourself.
0: I want to ask you that, and this may be a tough question, John, but, you know, as someone with, with your background, um, you know, that, that this mission, there is risks, there's risks to every space flight mission. Um, how have you squared those risks with, with yourself and have you talked to your family about it and, you know, how are you feeling going into this mission where you, you are essentially sitting on top of an explosion, um, and traveling faster than a bullet?
2: Uh, yeah, you know Interestingly, uh, I I really believe I've been prepared for this and preparing for this for a long, long time. So the the risks don't uh, you know are not missed by me. But I believe in the people and the teams, the technology, um, and the things that we've learned. Where we've had uh, incidents in the past, uh, so I'm a a willing spaceflight participant, a trained astronaut. I understand the risks. Uh, my family, they've known me uh, that this has been part of me my entire life, and they are um, they're prepared in all cases for for me to go do what they know that is important for me to do. So I think it's uh, I think it's one of those risks that you take on uh, willingly and positively, and you hope to overcome that with the value that you return with. So, for me, if I can go out and, and bring back a solid mission, you know, all of this risk is balanced in that regard.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, a much lighter question. Uh, when, I know you've got a, a action packed or jam packed, um, schedule while you're up there, you know, conducting science and outreach. Um, but in, in the the time that you do have just to, to yourself, I mean, what are you most excited about is, is when, what are you going to do when you, when you have a moment just to reflect on this, uh, have you thought about that
2: yeah i've actually had some good advice on on how to spend free time on in orbit uh, you know most every astronaut i've spoken with and, and i've spoken with a bunch have said don't forget just to look out the window uh and enjoy the beautiful earth you know ben- beneath you uh and the, the scenery you get a sunrise and sunset every 45 minutes um uh, you're over you cover nearly 90 percent of the earth during orbital flights so the uh the aspect of just enjoying the ride, I think, is, is really important. I've been told that over and over and over again by astronauts that have hundreds of days in space, that that's one of the most important things to do. Just remember where you are and enjoy it. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and finally, John, I'm asking you this because I, I did a story on this. Um, when SpaceX was first launching astronauts, there, there weren't many places for astronauts to sleep. They've since sent up some some space pods. Uh, but where will you be uh, bunking uh, when you're on the International Space Station? Have they told you yet?
2: Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, as the pilot of the Dragon, I have the privilege of sleeping in the Dragon. That's my home for the 10 days that we're docked. Um, you know, I'll, uh, each night I'll roll out my sleeping bag and I, I don't know where I'll be yet. You know, maybe in a seat or down below on the cargo deck. But yeah, I'll be in the Dragon with two beautiful windows. Um kind of like a private room. Um, the other crew members will be bucking out in various places. So um, as visitors to the station, we have to make do with what we have, but it's, it'll be fun.
0: Well, it sounds like you've got the best spot in the house, huh?
2: <laughs> That's what they tell me. You know, I'm not going to talk too much about it because you know, someone <laughs> may want <it> to take <laughs> It's It's uh, following space flight, space, space flight a long time yourself. Oh, it sounds like you are a uh, a follower. Uh, you follow space flight.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, I, uh, I grew up in in South Florida watching shuttle launches and and wanted to do the same thing you did when I was a kid and and then got to middle school algebra and realized it wasn't going to be for me. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so anytime I see someone talking about space flight and and kind of alternative paths in there the, the more artistic and and creative things like writing and painting and artistry and and graphic design, it's always a really great conversation to have with somebody. So. Um, I do appreciate your time, John. Is is there anything that, that you wanted to add or, or something that I might have missed?
2: No, and just that the, the value of uh, STEAM and STEM-based education tools, I, I'm not sure that they are well understood uh, and ut- certainly underutilized. I think educators you know, should take a long look at that um, and, and how that could be a true impact to helping a student understand the message that is in them and that when we see a student um, that develops an interest in something, we should teach to that interest and help them engage in whatever that story is that they that they have inside. Um, uh, the The value of space can't be understated. There's a I, we're, we're going deeper and deeper into space as a, as humans that we are, where our our nature is to explore. So that's what that's what is going to happen. And as we learn more about space, we can bring back more and more value. So. I love my opportunity here in the early days of spaceflight. That's what I'm doing. I'm an early participant for a reason because I was a NASA uh, NASA fan in the early days, and I want to see what it's like when it's the hardest. So in ten years, one of your earlier questions was what it's like in ten years. It'll be I think it'll be easier for individuals to get in a program and go. There'll be more opportunities. Either, either you're a commercial astronaut working for a company that goes up for five days to do something on orbit in a project and brings back the results, or you're taking a trip, or you go to the moon and hang out for a month, you know, those there. So doing it early uh, as an early astronaut in the private sector um, gives me that experience personally. That's what I want to enjoy. But having a chance to Uh, share that experience and bring back and show educators that they can use space as a talking point in school and when you have the attention you can teach something. The learning will take care of itself if you can just create the interest to the student.
0: That was John Schaffner, pilot of the upcoming AX-2 mission, a private trip to the International Space Station launching from Kennedy Space Center. That's going to do it for this week's show. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to the show's podcast feed so you never miss an episode. Do that on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are lots of ways for you to stay connected to this show. You can find us on Instagram. We're at AWTYspace. Or also follow us on Facebook. Search for Are We There Yet? podcast. If you've got a story idea or someone you think would be great for this show, email me. Our email is yet at wmfe.org. If you got more space coverage online, visit wmfe.org. Are We There Yet is a production of 90.7 WMFE News. Editorial guidance this week from LaToya Dennis. Support for Are We There Yet comes from our listeners. And until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.